Hello and welcome to The Made Cast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures and interviews on video game history as part of The Made's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Miles. I'm Chen. I'm Red. And I'm Anthony. This week, Alex is sitting down with Christy Marks, screenwriter, game designer, author, and writer of several Sierra adventure games. In this too brief overview of her work, we're looking at her introduction to writing for games and her stories from her long career across several industries. But first, let's get to some news. Chun, you had some sad news about PlayStation 3 servers. I would say it's rather surprising for myself than sad because PlayStation Store server is shutting down for PS3, PSP, and PS Vita. I personally thought they have been closed down for like a long time ago. I'm actually surprised that they have been keeping they have been keeping these servers up for quite a while, even after this PSP is definitely one of the golden age of mine. Honestly, the the PSP was one of the greatest handheld yeah. systems. It's probably the the handheld system that I have been spending the most time on, even more than the Game Boy Advance, because by the time I get into the, the the GBA, it's it's already pretty late. Yes, and also it is the 25th anniversary of the Game Boy Advance. 20th. Wow. Just 20th. The 20th. 20th, I think. Okay, that makes me feel better. I feel okay, less old. Yeah. Now. No, no, no. We are not yes. that old yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> no, I completely I completely missed all the, the PlayStation stuff. I was, I was always kind of curious, but it never really had exclusives that were a, a console buyer for me. I was deprived of the joy that Nintendo gives children until until the Game Boy Advance, mm-hmm. which was a remarkable game. And when I bought it, it came with a Game Boy Color game. So I got to have the full experience of like, see what it does to Game Boy Color games? Mm-hmm. Look at how much faster and more and more chibi pixelized it is. Yeah. <laughs> My first game on, on Game Boy Advance, I think it's Pokemon Leaf Green, I think. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, that's fantastic game. That's the first the game greatest. ever get me into gaming. That's wow. a that's a fantastic start. Yeah, that is quite the fantastic start. Yeah, my first was wow. uh, Pokemon Sapphire. Sapphire, also yeah, fantastic yeah, that's, start. That's also a good those. One. Uh, part of the greatest generation of Pokemon games was in that area. Yeah, the ho- introducing the third Hoenn region was pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Also newsworthy is that Amazon is now recruiting developers from uh, Rainbow Six Siege to start a new studio up in Montreal. We're not entirely sure what they're going to be doing, but I can say with some small degree of certainty that they're going to be doing more games like Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, I was going to say, it's probably a safe bet for FPS. Yeah. Amazon has kind of had a rocky time of it to try and break into video gaming. Like they released Crucible, I think, earlier in 2020, and it was a dismal failure. And then they just pulled it and said, "Okay, never mind, we're not doing it. Amazon is also working on the MMO New World, which is going to be out later this year. Mm, What's that game about? I haven't heard about it. It's like fantasy Spanish conquistadors Hmm. Uh, Hmm. from Spanish. from what I saw in vague gameplay trailers. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't really paying too much attention to it because I'm not really yeah. a, I'm not really an MMO person. So Very true. Very true. I'll be interested to see how it turns out and what it looks like as a game. Well. But in general, Amazon seems to be just sort of throwing money around and hoping that they hit something 
good. And in video games, it takes a bit more work than that. Well, yeah, you have to agreed. like money helps, but you have to have people that care about the project yeah. and are passionate. So far, they're pretty rich. I mean, yeah, yeah, if anyone can throw money at a project, they can. Yeah, very true. As far as other throwing money at things to hope it works, uh, there was also a report that Microsoft might be trying to buy Discord for $10 billion, which, I mean, that that amount of money might make anyone sell out. So, <laughs> But it's I'd all sell good. I'd sell out for $10 billion. Who I, won't? Yes, I, mean, I, I would who, too. Who not? I, I would too. Probably Nintendo. As long as, it, as long as it was like a, as long as it was selling out for like a year. I'd sell out for like a year as long as it's like a signed contract. I'll do whatever you want me to do for a year. Honestly, Bill Gates, billion. if you're listening, I'll undercut that. Yeah, I'll Gates. sell out for one billion dollars. Yeah, what? Well, yes, okay. <laughs> He's don't try and undercut me. I'll do it for nine hundred ninety million. <laughs> but I think it's about time we throw it over. Without any further ado, here is Christy Marks talking with Alex. Hello, we are back with Christy Marks. Thank you for joining us, Christy. Hello there. Glad to be here. There are so many things I want to talk about. I have doing the research on you. I had no idea. You've written a book on the Great Chicago Fire. You, you've written a Babylon 5 episode. You're the creator of Gem. But let's start out with video games. How did you end up working at Sierra on the Conquest of Camelot? It seems like you were already writing for Hollywood at the time. Yeah, I was. I was writing uh, comics. I was writing animation. And uh, it was 1988 and there was a Writers Guild strike happening. And so as it happened, I couldn't, couldn't do any of the work I would normally do in live action, and at the same time, my comics writing collapsed and my animation writing, that whole field for some reason collapsed, and so I was kind of sitting there wondering, you know, how to, how to survive this Writers Guild strike. And um, we got a phone call. Now, I was at the time married to Peter Ledger, who was an Australian artist, and um, we had been married for several years and after he had come to the United States to work on a project for with Carl Barks, the, this huge tabletop art book about um, Scrooge McDuck, which Carl Barks had created. So anyway, Peter and I were together and, and working on things together, comics and so forth, and we got a phone call from a headhunter that had been hired by Sierra Online in search of artists that would be willing to move to Oakhurst, California, this little tiny mountain town just outside of Yosemite. Because, you know, they, they liked living there, but they were having a very hard time finding other people that wanted to come up to this pl kind of a place and, and live and work on computer games. And, of course, computer games were so brand new, and, and hardly anybody knew anything about them at the time. I certainly didn't. I had never played a computer game. So this headhunter called looking for artists, and I happened to talk to this person, and I said, well, being, being the kind of person I am, always jumping in opportunities, I said, would they be interested in a writer as well? And he was like, um, yeah, maybe so, let me check. <laughs> so um, as it turned out, Peter and I drove up to Sierra Online to interview with Ken and Roberta, because they really loved the idea of a writer-artist team, and they had kind of stars in their eyes over someone who had been writing for Hollywood. So we drove up to Oakhurst and um, sat down and spent an afternoon talking with Ken and Roberta and uh, nearly blew the whole deal right up front because they had some really strong opinions about how things worked in Hollywood, which happened to be completely incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was like trying to correct some of their misconceptions and it wasn't going too well. So I, I quickly backed away from that and, and um, seized the opportunity for Peter and I to move up there and work as a team to create a computer game for them, even though we knew nothing at all about computer games. But it was either that or lose our house and, and, and go bankrupt. So um, it seemed like a really great opportunity in, in more than one way. And uh, in the course of chatting, I, I asked a question that was always significant to me was, if I create an original property for you, uh, will I have ownership? And I said, oh, no, no, you know, we, we have to own everything. And I said, that's okay, that's fine. I, I understand that. But that means I'm not going to create something original. Do you have something else you would be interested in? And they were like, well, we were thinking about a King Arthur game. I said, I love King Arthur, love Arthurian mythology. I would love to do that for you. And so that's what we settled on. And in a very, very short order, we had a deal worked out. We moved up there and started working. So as someone who had never actually even played a, a computer game before, what was it like sitting down at a computer and, and being told, you know, here are the tools, here are how these things work? It, it seems like a very different workflow than you were made of even used to. Oh, radically different. I mean, for one thing, there was no guidance. There was no help. There was no training. There was no teaching. There were no books. Nobody sat me down and said, here's how we do it. I, literally, I got up there and had to figure it out on my own. Wow. And so being being a person that has tackled a number of different new media, I mean, I, you know, I learned how to write animation. I learned how to write comic books. I had to learn different formats and how to do different things. So I have a particular approach. So basically, I sat down and just played every game they had made. I, I sat, sat through every single Sierra game, played it, studied it tried to get a sense for what worked for me, what didn't, you know, what not to do as well as, as what worked. And then I went around to the artist and said, show me your tools and, and explain to me what you can and can't do and, you know, explain how things work. And I went around to the programmers and I said, you know, give me some guidance, tell me what will and won't work. And I went around to the other designers and I said, may I see, please see your whatever it is you, you write, whatever it is you create, you know, what does your design look like? And so um, they very kindly gave me their designs. Uh, Roberta did, Jim Walls did, um, and I'm sure some of the other guys did as well. And so I, I looked at these documents, and none of them were alike. None of them were even remotely alike. Everybody had their own approach, um, you know, and, and Jim's was was like perhaps the most coherent and and useful one because he approached things kind of the way I do quite you know logically really thinking things out and so I just absorbed all of this information and um, Robert Heitman was our our senior tech guy programmer you know helped co-create the Sierra engine I'm sure you've heard Robert Heitman's name he gave me the single most important piece of advice I think I've ever gotten in the industry. I, I would keep going to him and saying, well, can you do this? Can you do that? And he would say, we can do anything, but do you have the time and do you have the money? <laughs> and so very early on, like immediately, he made me aware of the fact that it really came down to, you know, what your budget was and what your schedule was, how much could be accomplished. And that served me very well for the rest of my career in games. <laughs> was there anything that you remember that stu stood out to you when you sat down and like went right into the deep end of the video games by playing all these Sierra games back to back? I just learned that it's really important to get into the 
player's mindset, even though I didn't fully do it because I was still trying to grasp nonlinear writing. And so trying to, to get uh, my mind wrapped around that. And I thought I was doing a fairly good job of it, but they kept saying to me, no, no, you're still thinking in too linear a manner. You're still thinking too linear. You know, and, and I, I didn't understand why they were saying that because I really thought I was kind of getting it. Mm. But when I, when I finally got it was when we had the first half of uh, Conquest of Camelot created, was actually created, programmed, and we took it down to a, a little convention in Fresno and allowed some players, you know, just random people to bang away on it. And I stood there watching them and it made my brain explode. I swear to God, people were completely chaotic. They did not approach anything in any logical manner whatsoever. They just would do anything off the top of their heads. They didn't pay attention to hints. They would just do whatever. And, and that was the moment when I finally got it. I finally understood what they had been trying to tell me. Mm. So that that was a significant moment for me at trying to understand uh, working in a nonlinear mode. Yes, no no game survives first contact with a player. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Well, unfortunately, we only have the twenty minutes, and it's only been like you know seven minutes here, and there's so much stuff in your career I want to talk about that's outside of the field of games. I had a very very interesting moment. Um, I worked at Zynga for six years you know, working on first Facebook games and then mobile games. And um, that was from like 2010 to 2017 that I worked for them. And so Zynga bought this big building, you know, South Market area. There's, a, there's an area where you come down to where they put the cafeteria. It's a big, huge open space, and you come down the stairs into this big, huge open space, and they put up this, like, massive monitor, bank of monitors, monitor screens just like giant so and they were always playing something on it you know some show some program some visual some something was up there all the time so here I am I'm at Zynga all these years later in my career working on mobile games and I come down the stairs and I look and up on the screen is one of my Spider-Man and his amazing friends episodes called Video Man <laughs> and it was an episode I wrote back in uh, when I don't know 80, 81 maybe, or 79. I, I can't even remember exactly what year it was, probably around 81, something like that. And it was uh, a show that I had written about our characters being trapped inside a video game. <laughs> and I just stood there, I just came to a stop and just looked at this and I, and I thought, what an amazing full circle this is. Absolutely. How bizarre that here, here is this show that I wrote so many years ago about a video game and here I am as Zynga working on mobile games and it's just it was just uh it just brought me to a stop it was so amazing well i mean talk about circles what about your babylon 5 episode i mean that you the quest for the holy grail makes an appearance in babylon 5 i know and that wasn't even my idea um no really because joe straczynski had um he had everything mapped out for an entire five-year arc for that show and i mean episode by episode he had it mapped out and so he handed me an episode idea for that reason, because I had made the Grail, this game about the Grail. He handed me this particular episode concept and, and set me to work on it. Uh, so that brings me to my next question is, uh, can you tell us anything about the Sierra game that was canceled, the Babylon 5 game? 
Oh, I could tell you a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, Babylon 5 is like really hot now because of the Blu-rays, right? It's it's really coming back. So I'm sure our, our listeners would want to know, like, this game even existed? You produced, I know, like a 100-page script for this game. It was a, it was a space, uh, space piloting game, wasn't it? So what happened was that there was – boy, it's so complicated – so Sierra Online had, had pretty much ceased, almost ceased to exist because they were acquired by this other entity who were, who were acquired before Vivendi. Before Vivendi, and they were acquired by this other entity that had nothing to do with games. And then it turned into this enormous stock fraud th- crisis. Everybody who had stock in Sierra lost everything. And, and you know, it was a whole SEC f- Thing. I mean, it was just a mess. And so Sierra Online ended up moving up to Bellevue. They got acquired, like you said, by Vivendi. And then they moved up to Bellevue. And then they left a spinoff called Yosemite Entertainment in Oakhurst, where we still lived, where I still lived. Um, and so the uh, person who was in charge of Yosemite Entertainment got the rights to Babylon 5. Now... Initially, I wasn't involved with it, but because of my connection to Joe Straczynski and, and that I'd written for Babylon 5 and had created games for Sierra Online, they brought me on board to be a mediator between the Hollywood end and the games end and between Joe and the team because I knew both worlds and I knew Joe and, you know, I could, the idea was that I was the speaker to Joe, as they called me, so that I could translate between the two worlds because they don't always get along that well. And Joe, of course, had his heart set on a more story-based game, but for, I'm sure, other marketing and other reasons, Yosemite Entertainment decided they were going to do a space sim kind of a game. And we thought that, uh, and so they brought me in, and they are, there was already a narrative designer working on the game by the name of Randy Littlejohn, and that was how Randy and I met, and we've been married now for over 20 years, so... <laughs> So that was one really good thing that came out of yeah, that. Yeah, that's a terrific thing to come from that game. <laughs> so the problem was that they were kind of at odds with Joe to begin with because he wanted a story game. They wanted to do the space simulator game. And so we went to work on the space simulator game, and everybody thought, oh, they have a huge head start because all of the um, computer-generated models had been made for the TV show, right? Oh, yeah, but those don't – you can't just plop those into an engine. Exactly. <laughs> Number one, nobody had paid attention to scale. Yeah. They didn't have to worry about scale. Number two, they because they had created models just to serve the scene, so they might create half a model mm-hmm. instead of a full 3D model. So instead of it being something that gave them a leg up, they discovered they were actually going to have to recreate all of the ships from scratch, you know, full 3D models for the space sim. So, you know, that that really was a bit of a setback. And it and it was it was a fairly complicated process and it was coming along and it was go- I think it was going to be just an amazing game and Randy and I had written um, some cutscenes live action cutscenes and we actually went and shot these cutscenes down on the original sets with the actors with the original costuming before just before it was all being completely struck and destroyed and done away with by Warner Brothers. And so we shot these live action scenes that, that were going to be dropped into some of these various missions that players would be doing. And it was coming along, and we had spent a couple of years working on it, and, and then more, more things happened in management that changed what was going on, and they finally just killed the game. 
after all that work we'd put into it. I, I think it would have been an amazing game. I do wonder what happened to all those assets. I mean, I'm sure that the fans would love to see that kind of stuff. I'm sure they would, but, you know, Yosemite Entertainment went away and yep. it's all gone. <laughs> We've got only five minutes or so left here. I wanted to ask my wife's question, then I wanted to get onto your book. Uh, my wife's question was, who inspired the misfits in Gem? Oh, I have no idea. You gotta, you have to understand that um, that show was based on a line of, of dolls. So Hasbro had created the line of dolls already. Yeah, but you did the backstories for all of them, right? Yeah, I came up with who they were as people. I gave them their name, full names, not the product names, but their full names and their backgrounds and how they get along with each other and how they interacted. And I mean, it was just a matter of you've got your good girl group and you've got your bad girl group. And so you just you create kind of characteristics that will put them at odds and, and give you a lot to work with and, you know, working against one another. Sure. So, the, but there's no like favorite punk band you have in your pocket that you basically. No, no. <laughs> Just wanted to check. Uh, so then I wanted to get onto your new book. Uh, you tell us about your book or excuse me, the updated book, isn't it? Yeah. Um, several years ago, I wrote a book called Writing for Animation, Comics, and Games, and it's a craft book, meaning it's kind of a nuts and bolts, here's what you need to know to write in any one of these three uh, media, you know, what's, what a script format is like, or how do you break in, you know, what various various tidbits of information, terminology, all that sort of thing, and um, it did well, and the publisher was after me for quite a long time to do a second edition, a revised edition. I was working at Zynga at the time, and I was also writing for DC Comics, and I found that I just couldn't manage having to do that much extra writing on top of all of the Zynga work. It was just too much of an effort, and so I kind of I kept putting them off and putting them off, and then I finally left Zynga, and I was working, I was about two-thirds of the way through writing the second edition, and the campfire happened, and oh. we lost our home. Oh we my got God. burned out, lost everything we had. We we obviously escaped, and we escaped with our six cats, but we lost everything. That's you know, awful. I had no scripts, idea. Scripts, paper, books, memorabilia, copies of games, I mean, everything. So I kind of lost a year of my life, but I, I finally, we got resettled, and um, I got back to working on the books, and I just finally got it completed at the end of last year, and the publisher is pushing to get it out by June of this year. God, the symmetry in your life, Christy, this is ridiculous. I mean, you wrote a book about the Great <laughs> Chicago Fire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. This is crazy. Is this what happens to authors in, in Hollywood? They get like so locked into their own uh, sort of <laughs> narratives that their lives keep repeating like this? Or? God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> this is insane. I, yeah, it's not something I would wish on anybody. No, certainly. It's like a Terry Pratchett novel or something. Uh, well, uh, where can people find this book? Oh, it's an educational book. In other words, it's being... Um, published by a company that does all kinds of technical books. So, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any bookstore could probably get it in. There you go. And the official title? Writing for Animation, Comics, and Games. It's amazing. And you have over four decades of experience doing so, so I don't think there's, I don't think it's very much possible for anybody to write a book about this with more expertise than you. Yeah, I was able to update it with a lot of um, new information about working on mobile games, which I didn't have the first time I wrote the book. Oh, excellent. Well, Christy Marks, thank you so much for appearing with us on our podcast, and uh, thank you for all the wonderful work you do. We, we love your media. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And we're back. Thank you, Christy Marks. Fantastic interview. I thought the story about 
moving into work at Zynga and then seeing a show that she had written on TV at her new job, that was really interesting because it was like she's been in the industry so long that now an old thing she's working on is influencing a new generation of people. Yeah. Like she's she's so far reaching in every bits of the media. Her breadth and like desire to do things regardless of like she doesn't pigeonhole herself. Mm -hmm. She's like she wants to do this and she goes and does it. Also, if you get a chance, uh, any of the Sierra adventure games out there, uh, Quest for Camelot as well. An amazing style and writing of games with very tongue-in-cheek adventures. Uh, sorry, Conquests of Camelot, Search for the Grail. That was the initial one. And then Conquests of the Longbow, The Legend of Robin Hood was the sequel to very fantastic computer games. And I mean, hearing her talk about also just starting in uh, in games before games nobody really knew what computer games were i mean or like what it entailed what the possibilities were so a real pioneer a real pioneer she is um but now that we're moving along past that i want to ask y'all what have you been playing anything interesting i picked up a game that's in early access yesterday that i started playing and uh haven't gotten very far in but i just want to talk about it it's called Tin Can. It's on Steam. And it's basically this survival game in a spaceship life pod. And so the entire game takes place in this very small cramped space. And each of the walls has basically machines on it. And the entire game is surviving as long as you can to keep them by keeping the machines running. It's not a particularly action-oriented game. There's not a whole lot that happens in it. But it's it's kind of like you have to be your own tech support in space. It's like trying to build a computer because you take par apart a component and it's got, you know, a battery. It's got a uh, mm. processor or a, a power unit. It's got air filters. It's got cans of oxygen or, or nitrogen or carbon dioxide. And you have to just look at these machines, figure out what's wrong with them and fix the broken component and make trade-offs about what's being run at, the, at any given time because you don't have enough power or components to fix everything so it's mm. like i need to breathe so i'm going to fix the air purifier but that means i have to turn off the lights or okay now uh i've dropped my wrench and i need to see where things are so i need to uh take components out of the fuel cell to to turn the lights back on oh so it's can but then like can you also go back and forth it's like oh well now i need this like light source so i'll, I'll put the components back from the lights yeah. into this yeah okay yeah Ooh. Ooh. It's that fun. sounds like it's, a, it's it's very challenging. That sounds like a game far. I have heard before. I think it's called Oxygen Not Included. Is it? It's a similar basic premise, but it's more a survival game than a than a like a strategy sort of building game. Hmm. I see. But anyway, it's interesting. It's quirky. I just thought I'd throw it out there because it's give it a shot, y'all. I'm no, I'm probably gonna check that out soon. Yeah, it's kind of a niche game. I recently having about half of my wish list on Steam being on sale, and I was wondering like what kind of stuff is happening. And then I check on it; it's because um, Square Enix are doing sales on almost any single one of their game. Oh, and mm. yeah, I have been asking myself a lot: whether do I want to buy this game? Do I want to buy that game? I mean, they they literally have almost the whole series of Final Fantasy on sale, like Final Fantasy 15, the old 7, 10, or 
basically anything. And I'm really close to buying the 13 one because that was the game I always mm. wanted to play. But by the time it released, I, I don't have anything. I don't have a console to play that. And I was just watching people playing that on YouTube by the time. And so I really want to get that to play, but I just find myself lacking some power to push myself to really buy it. But it's a pretty good price for me. It's it's not even ten bucks. It's only I think. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's only seven seven ninety nine. Get it? Yeah. Th- this is the voice in your head telling you to get yeah, it. Yeah, my voice is <laughs> my voice in the head is saying, "Just get it. It's cheap. You you haven't this wanted is, to this, play that like way this is your way sign long time to, ago." But this but, is this is your sign. Yeah, to but buy my hands now. just stop me. Say, say say hey, you you don't really need it. Maybe you don't need it. Maybe it sucks. This is, this is your sign. It just, this is your sign to tell you know, your that's a, to that's buy a, it. That's, that's kind of struggle always happen. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's going to be a better deal to get this game at this point or any of these games. Like, I mean, until the next 90% off Steam sale later in the year. But <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, uh, keep an eye out for all those Steam sales out there and any discounts on the PlayStation Store. Uh PlayStation Store monthly exclusives are pretty fantastic if you got PlayStation Plus and the Nintendo Switches, uh, they have some sales uh, or at least a discounted pricing on some very fantastic. I think they have a different thing in Nintendo for the monthly payment plan for the players. They probably have have an old game archive library that you can play for the monthly plan people. I think it's time for us to wrap up and I want to again, thank Christy Marks for joining us today. Um, well, and thank you, Alex, for this, uh, fantastic interview. Uh, thank you listener for listening to the museum of art and digital entertainment's official podcast. If you've got any thoughts, questions, corrections, general museum ideas, shoot us an email at info at the We'd like to send a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the maid afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue with that for future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Anthony. I'm Miles. I'm Red. I'm Chip. Thank you, and we will see you next time. Have a good day. Thank you.